Chapter 16 We trotted along the shoreline in the fading light. Sometimes we ran. Every once in a while, I'd look back in the direction of the York Station. I couldn't see anything, but now and then I caught a smell that I was pretty sure I recognized. Venber, still hunting us. The ice along the shore was more solid here. It extended from a lumpy sheet from about a quarter mile to several miles from the shore. Beyond that, the water was thick with chunks of white. Axe had said the water might be dangerous to the Venber, so we considered going right out onto the ice and closer to its outer edge. But if we stayed out in the open, the Venber might be able to better track us with their echolocation. And out on the ice, there was no shelter at all from the terrible wind. We decided to stay closer to the slope of the ridge beside us. There too, we'd be able to find cover in the rocks if it came down to combat. The sun started to disappear on the horizon, giving the ice an orange glow. As the sun dropped, the wind shifted directions. A sudden scent, like a flashing neon sign to my wolf nostrils. Everyone caught the scent at the same time. We all stopped. I sniffed again, concentrating, letting the wolf mind that existed beside my own provide a rough translation. A scent similar to Rachel's grizzly bear morph, but not quite the same. I turned my ears toward the wind, toward the scent. Yes, just barely, I heard something. A steady, easy, confident gait. Ice and snow crunched by enormous weight. Four feet. Let me guess, I said. The abominable snowman. Abominable something, Rachel agreed. Might be our dinner. Even a wolf needs to eat. We quickened our pace and began to turn in a wide arc toward the unseen creature. Cassie spotted him first as he emerged from the shadow of an ice heave. Over there, she said. My wolf eyes locked onto a spot of black. His nose. Then two black dots above it. His eyes. The nose and eyes moved. And in the near darkness, the rest of him began to take shape. A humongous mass of off-white fur. Polar bear, Cassie said delightedly. I guess that means we're Arctic and not Antarctic. I did tell you our direction was north, Axe sniffed from deep down in Jake's fur. It was weird. This creature you only saw on TV or at the zoo. A polar bear, sitting on the ice, scratching himself. We stood there and stared at him. He stopped scratching and seemed to be staring back. He sniffed at the air and then lifted his big bare butt and started lumbering toward us on four thick legs. I'm thinking this guy is not going to be our dinner, Rachel said. Two to one odds we end up being his, I agreed. Let's run away. Fast. Uh-huh, Jake said, starting into a trot. What is this polar bear? Axe asked from Flea World. Polar bear, Cassie said. The largest land predator in the world. What do you mean, largest predator? 
Rachel protested, as if Cassie had just insulted her. I thought grizzly bears were the largest. Grizzlies aren't true predators. Let's face it, you'll eat berries given a chance. Cassie answered. Anyway, polar bears can actually be heavier if they've really packed on the blubber. Although grizzlies are normally built thicker. Just how much public television do you watch, Cassie? I asked. No, I really don't want to know. I could take him, Rachel muttered, but she didn't sound too sure. Predators? Jake said. I thought bears just ate fish and berries. Not polar bears, Cassie replied, breaking into a full run now. But this might actually be good news for us. Where there are predators, there are prey. The bear kept after us, lumbering along the ice in a casual way. What do polar bears eat? Jake asked. Dumb kids playing hero, I muttered. Seals, usually, Cassie said. Other things too, but mostly seals. I haven't seen any seals, I said. We were running at full speed now. I looked back and saw the bear had slowed down. Apparently, we were not his main concern. Of course you don't see any, Rachel said. They're hiding from the polar bear. Now that we're on this topic, Jake said, what exactly are we supposed to eat? We could try fishing, I suggested. I could use my grizzly morph, Rachel said. Grizzly's fish, right? I doubt that'll work, Cassie said. Grizzly bears fish in streams. I don't think fish come anywhere near the surface in this part of the world. Great, I said. So I guess we just go ahead and starve. Why not? Everything else is going so well. Things were looking pretty hopeless. Polar bear to the right of us, Venber behind us, and cold all around. And now it was almost completely dark. The temperature was beginning to drop from shockingly cold to hideously cold. And the wind was howling off the water. We'd better find somewhere to hide for the night, Jake said. I'm just glad the Chi are covering for us back home, Cassie said. Usually, Cassie knows the right thing to say. Not this time. The last thing I wanted to think about right then was my home. My warm home with my warm bed and my warm TV. I've been hurled 60 million years into the past and been trapped on alien planets, but I'd never felt so far from home. Chapter 17 we dug a lair in a snowdrift on top of some rocks, looking out over the ice. And by lair, I mean a big hole. A big, wet snow hole. I get the bedroom with the separate bath, I said. No one laughed. For what felt like the tenth time that day, we demorphed, one by one. We shivered in our human bodies for just long enough to turn blue, all except Axe, who was already blue. Then remorphed. The temperature continued to fall. We heard the ice cracking and groaning like a never-ending thunderstorm echoing through the darkness. It was an amazing sound. You know how they say all the continents used to be one big continent, and that over millions of years they broke up and drifted apart? That's what it sounded like. The continents leaving each other behind. We spent the night huddled together in our makeshift cave, trying to keep each other from freezing to death. 
Each of us took turns standing guard, which basically consisted of sticking a nose out into the frozen air every couple of minutes to catch wind of anyone or anything dangerous. Once in a while, I caught a vague, alien scent. The Venber was still tracking us, but as long as we were hidden underground, their echolocation would fail to find us. Say, Axe, I said, sometime in the middle of the night. You sleeping? No, Marco, he replied from somewhere on my chest. He and Tobias had moved after Jake began complaining of some suspicious itchiness. What's the deal with these Venber? I asked. Every Andalite knows the story of the Venber, Axe began. In fact, the story of the Venber has much to do with the modern Andalite policies and methods of interstellar interactions. Tell us the story, Axe, Jake said. Obviously, none of us can sleep, and we have to demorph soon anyway. So, what do you know about the Venber? Just what everyone knows. He said, I mean, what any Endolite knows. They were a primitive species with a highly unusual physiology. Unique, actually. They do not seem to have required radiant energy of any kind. Obviously, they are not carbon-based. Obviously, I mocked. They were discovered back toward the dawn of Endolite space travel. Not by us, by some other race. The Five. The Five what? Cassie asked. No one knows. They just called themselves The Five. No doubt it meant something to them. Maybe they lived between the Four and the Six, I suggested. Anyway, The Five discovered the Venber and began to trap and export them. Say what? They basically harvested the Venber. It seemed that a Venber melts, burns, in any case becomes liquid at temperatures above freezing. And the resulting liquid has many uses, particularly in the creation of superconductors for the primitive computers of that era. But, but these are sentient creatures, aren't they? Cassie asked. Yes, Axe said simply. They were. The five extinguished them. They annihilated a sentient species to speed their computers. The Venber disappeared. That's sickening, Cassie said. That's just evil. Yes, Axe agreed. But if it is any comfort, the five are no longer in existence either. Soon after we encountered them for the first time, they... Well, no one knows for certain what happened to the five, but Endolites in that era are not the Endolites of today. There was a long silence after that. You couldn't say there was a chill in the air, since it was already freezing. But our already low spirits had been plowed under. Good bedtime story, Axe. I joked. If you ever have kids... They're going to need nightlights. Just one big question. If the Venber are extinct, why are they trying to kill us? I can only speculate. I suspect that because of temperatures on Venmia, the Yurks were able to retrieve some intact genetic material from Venber corpses. So they regrew them? 
Probably they coupled the Venber DNA with some other species. These would be a hybrid. Part Venber, part something else. What else? Cassie asked. Axe hesitated. You would want a species with the most complex DNA structure available. It would make it easier to attach new DNA. And what creature would that be? Tobias asked. Of the species available to the Yurks, Axe said, Humans. Those Venber may be a hybrid of Venber and humans. After that, we fell silent and stayed that way. We curled up against one another, four wolves and a pair of fleas, deep in a hole in the snow, lost in a frozen wilderness, thinking of faraway tragedies on dark, frozen moons. I'd have traded my left lung for a fire. Chapter 18 Throughout the long, long night, we demorphed and remorphed one at a time, time and again. We were so much more than exhausted. Axe and Tobias started freaking out after a while. It was amazing they lasted as long as they did in Flea Morph. They demorphed and stayed for a while in their own forms, huddling between the four of us, regaining a sense of the reality they'd lost as nearly blind, blood-sucking fleas. It was not a good night. It did not pass easily. I was cold, scared, hungry, cold, hungry, and also cold. We were without a plan, without a clue, as lost as it was possible to be, and more tired than I would have thought possible. Morphing was probably the only reason we survived that night. After about an hour, the cold became so severe we thought we were going to die. The morphing process would bring us back to full health so we could start freezing to death all over again. Many hours and many morphs later, the sun began to creep through the hole in our lair. I am not known as a morning person, but I was the first to crawl out and take a look. The temperature had risen. It was probably a balmy 30 below. I sniffed the air and caught the scent of the Venber. Those guys just do not give up, I complained. I smelled something else, too. Very close. Out on the ice, a half mile away. The polar bear. It took me a while to find him. I couldn't see his black nose or eyes. When I finally did spot him, I realized why his eyes and nose weren't visible. Hey guys, check this out! I said. Jake, Rachel, and Cassie crawled out of the hole and stood beside me at the lookout post. Jake was carrying Axe and Tobias again. They'd promised not to bite. I smell polar bear, Cassie said. But I can't see him. Try a little to your right, I said. Like this helped. The horizon was nothing but a vast sheet of white paper, with a dark edge where the water began. Oh, I see him, Rachel said. What's he doing? Our pal had his entire head stuck in the ice, ostrich style. He was a great set of four pillar-like legs with no head. He must be seal hunting, Cassie said. We sat and watched him. The predator part of my brain was riveted. We hadn't eaten anything for almost 24 hours. The extreme cold was sapping our energy badly. If we didn't get something to eat soon, we'd die. 
and the nearest Taco Bell was probably a thousand miles away. The polar bear pulled his head out of the water, shook it, and lumbered farther out on the ice. Finally, when he was about 20 yards from the water's edge, he jumped onto his stomach and slithered along a few feet at a time. The polar bear stopped. He'd found something. Suddenly, he raised one of his giant paws and slammed it through the ice. I heard a desperate squealing and saw a pair of gray shapes scurry out of the hole his paw had made. The shapes scurried off and jumped back into the water a few yards away. The bear kept his paw in the hole, reaching around for the seal he'd trapped. Then he stuck his head through the hole. He stood up on his powerful legs. He raised his head. The seal was in his jaws, but the seal was too fat to fit through the hole. He pulled it out anyway. The process made for instant shredded seal. Oh my god! Cassie cried. Jeez, Rachel said. I could have lived without seeing that, I muttered. What happened? Tobias asked. What did he do? We watched him eat. He sat upright on his fat white hinder, holding the big seal in both paws. He bit off huge chunks and gulped them down. Once, he put down the seal carcass, scooped some snow off the ice, and used it to wash the blood off his face and paws. It was disgusting. Even worse than some of the stuff you see in the school cafeteria. But I watched it greedily. I hoped he would leave us at least enough for a small meal. I think we have a situation here, Jake said quietly. Calmly. His wolf tongue licked his wolf lips. Yeah, Rachel said warily. We have to eat, don't we? We haven't eaten anything for at least a day, I added. I looked over at Cassie. She had to be freaked by what none of us had the nerve to suggest we were suggesting. I mean, I was freaked by what we were not suggesting. But unlike Cassie, I wasn't willing to let my moral sense live while the rest of me died of starvation. Cassie? Rachel said. What? She replied, a hint of anger in her voice. What should we do? Why are you asking me? I said, we're not equipped to hunt in this environment, in these morphs. We're freezing. If we don't eat soon, we'll be too weak to plan our next move, let alone finish what we came here to do. Destroy that satellite station. I know this sounds weird, but I'd kind of forgotten that we had a goal. All I'd been thinking about was staying warm and fed. And alive. But you're waiting for me to give my approval. Is that it? She said. Look, I began again. If I had to be the jerk in the situation, that was fine. I was used to it. I was usually the first one to state the obvious, no matter how ugly it was. Just call me Mr. Ruthless. In case you haven't noticed, there don't seem to be any Mickey D's around here. I noticed that. Cassie said, a little annoyed. It's obvious what we have to do, and not just to the bear's leftovers, but to any live seal we can find. What I don't understand is why you're asking me for permission. Do you guys think I'd put an animal's life over yours? Or mine, come to think of it? I don't know, I... I started to say. You don't know? When did you start thinking I was some kind of fanatic? We're freezing, we're starving. And I'm going to go all tree-hugging? Never eat anything with a face on you? Well, 
I can never tell what you'll think. I whined, taken aback and feeling like I'd insulted Cassie. Here's a clue. Don't kill a sentient creature except in absolute self-defense. Try not to wipe out endangered species. And if you're going to raise animals for food, treat them as well as you possibly can. But when you're a wolf, a starving wolf wandering around in the frozen Arctic, and you see a meal, eat it. Cassie is obviously not a morning person either. This was grumpier than I'd ever seen her. Probably, despite her tough talk, she was not looking forward to eating cute seals for breakfast. Come to think of it, I wasn't either. The two seals who'd escaped the bear were visible some distance off. We looked at them with the intensity of hungry wolves. Nature isn't pretty, Tobias said, reassuring us. It isn't supposed to be. Yeah, survival of the fittest, Rachel muttered. A good philosophy, Ag said mordantly. Unless it turns out the Venber are fitter than we are. Hello, Phantomorphs, and thank you for listening to another episode of Audiomorphs, the Animorphs Auditory Experience. As always, this is your host, Daniel. Uh, thank you for listening to another episode. I've got uh, a few messages here to read through, so let's get through those real quick. Uh, the first one's coming in through Gmail. That's audiomorphscast at gmail.com. This is from uh, old friends of the show Ballad of the Seven Dice. Uh who have written in before to give me some wonderful tips on sound editing. Uh, Wrote in, uh, titled, Love the Sound Design. Hey, Daniel. Just wanted to message in and say that I love the sound design for episode 275. If you're ever looking for some good background ambience for a decent price, Michael Gelfi has the best selection, in my opinion. Also, very much relate to getting hit with sudden freezing temperatures these Animorphs are dealing with. Where I live in Manitoba, our weather is wild. Just five days ago... It was negative 37C, which they helpfully provide a conversion that's minus 34.6 Fahrenheit for us Americans. And today it is 0C, which is 33 degrees Fahrenheit. Humans are wildly adaptive, I suppose. Anyways, keep up the great work and look, and looking forward to hearing more. Lucas, recently promoted captain of the Planet Crusher, then in parentheses, feel good about this promotion, which is a pretty funny joke. Uh, thank you for writing in, Lucas. Uh, yeah, that's, that's quite cold. Manitoba, I am familiar with, um, and Canada in general. You guys got pretty nasty winters. Um, meanwhile, I am a little baby living in Southern California, and I was upset that it was 40 degrees out. In my defense, um, I don't think my walls have super great insulation, and also I refuse to turn on my furnace because it's gas-powered and cost so much money, and that's uh, that, that is why I've decided I'm allowed to complain about the co- cold. Uh, I am, a, I am originally from Indiana, which gets, uh, quite Canada, Canadian in its winters, I think. It gets pretty nasty there, but, um, also my parents paid the heating bill back then, and, you know, the walls had insulation in them, so it didn't feel as bad. I don't know. I'm just cold. What can I say? Oh, actually, a fun fact about this book that I read somewhere, I'd never verified it, but I, what I heard is this one was actually inspired by an especially cold winter K. Applegate was experiencing. So uh, those Manitoba freezing temperatures, perfect mind place and physical setting to be reading this chilly book. Uh, but thank you for writing in, Lucas. Really appreciate it. I, I also have a, uh, a DM from uh, Christopher on 
Twitter. Uh, that's at Audiomorphs. And I actually replied to them directly to the message. But it's a topic I've been wanting someone to ask me for ages. I've given this a lot of thought. Um, so I'm just going to talk about it here as well. Uh, they wrote in, Hey Daniel, some things that I've been wondering a lot lately are, which character's voice is the easiest for you to do? Which one is the hardest? They're so easily recognizable and seem really seamless. There's a noticeable improvement with every single episode. Thank you so much for finally asking this question. I've given it a lot of thought, as I just mentioned. Um, first of all, you know, gotta give the props to Miss Applicate. Uh, she's re- she's very good at making distinctive voices, and that makes um, my job a lot easier. But um, I gotta say, probably Jake is the easiest voice for me to do, because it's just sort of my normal voice, but dropped a little bit. It's a little lower than I normally talk, right? Um, I also think Marco's pretty easy for me. I like Marco because I think I can get the most expressive with Marco. I, I have the widest range of being able to speak uh, when I go into that nasally place. Uh, so I enjoy doing Marco, and I feel like I'm pretty consistent with those two. Then we get into some dodgy territory. Um, You know, Axe, for the most part, I think is is... Good. I sometimes have a little trouble keeping Axe in the in the pitch range I'd like him to be in. Sometimes, because so much of my Axe voice is defined by that weird, like, cadence I've decided to give him because he's an alien. Um, so sometimes, especially when I'm doing a lot of Jake dialogue in the same book, um, and, you know, being in that very low place, it's sometimes hard for me to bring it back up for Axe. And, um, I don't know, eagle, eagle-eared listeners maybe have heard that sometimes, especially in Axe books, Axe books, sometimes in between chapters, the, the pitch, um, goes a little lower than, than I'd like, but, you know, what can you do? After that, uh, I definitely think Rachel's one of my harder voices that I do, um, just because Rachel, I, it, it's not really defined by much for me, it's just sort of like, well, it's higher than my normal voice by a little bit, but it can't be too high because I've saved that register for Cassie. And then it's also just sort of like soft, um, which makes it a little harder for me to emote with her. And it's a little harder for me to kind of uh, hit that that consistent groove I'm looking for on her. Uh, definitely, I think Rachel's one of the harder voices um, that if I were to do this again, I probably would have tried to rework. Um and then there's Cassie and Tobias, both which are pretty consistent for me being able to hit it. Cassie's a little harder, because um, as you can tell, I have a fairly low natural speaking voice, so hitting that falsetto can be sometimes a little hard. The tricky part with Tobias and Cassie is that it's not exactly nice to my throat parts. Um, and so on their, like, the books where they're narrating, it can sometimes... I think it, the the voice effect is less pronounced for me because I have to take it a little easier because I'm I'm doing so much uh, speaking in in that place that's straining my throat and that's been the Daniel talking about his voice segment of the show. Thank you for writing in and thank you for letting me talk about that on the show. Uh, and last but certainly not least, I have a fresh new review on Apple Podcasts that I'd love to read to all of you. This is by Riley, who titled it, Excellent Work. I used to read these books when I was seven and eight years old, getting my hands on them as often as the elementary school library could stock them, which is to say I read about one-third of them from different parts of the series, and all out of order, a very relatable experience. I did buy the last few, though, and I still remember staying up late to read through Book 54 and the 
and all of its gut punches. Now, 20-some years later, I found myself wanting to get back into the series, but also not having an easy way to do it. Then I found out about this podcast. I've just finished book 13, and it's absolutely wonderful, although I do have to mention that I found the Elemis' voice in that one to be extra difficult to understand, but that's small potatoes. Listen, Riley, I know. Um, I was trying some stuff out, I didn't like it, uh, another area where if I were to do this again, I would, um, I'd edit myself a little bit more. It was, you know, I'm trying to get this, like, over, because, you know, in the text, it's just all caps, and it's like this huge god voice coming at them, like, how can I replicate that in an auditory function? And I went a little overboard on the processing, I fully acknowledge that. The sound effects in particular are are a standout contribution. I initially wondered if the reader was really going to say, blam, every time there was a gunshot, but the sound effects are a perfect solution and fit in seamlessly. The voices start off good and only improve over time, to the point where I often forget it's just one person doing it all. Thank you for this project. It's amazing and has helped me be even, and has helped me to even be able to drag my friends into Animorphs fandom. 1010, this podcast is amazing. Thank you so much, Riley, for your kind words. Um, thank you for appreciating my voices. Uh, the idea that sometimes you forget it's just me. That's very flattering to me. You're stroking my ego there. Uh, thank you for liking the sound effects as well. Um, I also was at that conundrum of like, do I just say tear every time Tobias screams? That doesn't feel good to me. Um, yeah, and so I found some sound effects and, um, I'm glad you like it. Um, and those are all my messages. Um, and that were, that was three different ways you could get in touch with me. There are, of course, two other ways, secret ways, which are the Tumblr, that's audiomorphscast.tumblr.com, and my website, that's theapocalypse.com. That's theapocalypse. Like apocalypse, but with a D in the middle. Um, and I, I think that's all I got to say this week. Um, we are heading into, of course, Christmas season. I don't foresee that uh drastically impacting the release schedule but i will keep you all updated on that twitter at audiomorphs um if if that changes other than that i'm still pretty cold but uh i have a space heater don't worry i'll be fine (laughs) thank you all for listening and i'll see you all next week my name is daniel and i believe one day the andalites will come until then we fight (laughs) 